Well, good morning, everybody. It's so good to see you all here this morning. I'm excited to open God's Word with you in just a minute. Before we do so, I want to take a moment and say thank you, church family. Thank you for making yesterday's memorial service such a meaningful time for us. Yesterday, we honored, remembered, and celebrated the life of our own Julie Serignana. Julie was such a very special part of our church family. She impacted our lives in so many wonderful ways. And I remember on a daily, I mean, weekly basis, uh, she would greet me at the door, serving in the foyer with a huge smile. She was really a special person. And so thank you. Thank you for all you invested in making yesterday so special and working so tirelessly uh, behind the scenes. I know that Julie's family was deeply moved and they, they saw the love of Jesus here in this place. So thank you once again. Well, let's pray. Let's invite God to, to be in our midst as we open his word. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it has a power to transform our lives. And Lord, we ask that we'd be sensitive to your spirit today so that your, work, your word would do a work in our lives that as we open up our heart, that you would teach us, that you would move us to become more like Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, today we bring our current series to a close. Next week, we begin Missions Month. Here at Efree Church, we devote the month of February to focusing our attention on what God is doing both locally and globally. And we're looking forward to hearing all that God's doing throughout the world. That's starting next Sunday. Today we wrap up our five-week series on the doctrine of God's Word. And I'm going to give you a very brief recap of the month of January. In week one, on New Year's Day, we began with the authority of Scripture. You might remember, we said that the Bible is not just there to suggest things for us. God's Word has the authority in our lives because it is the authority of God. And it has the right to rule our hearts and our minds. So that was week one. In week two, we looked at the reliability of Scripture. The Bible is reliable. It is trustworthy. We can point to uh, a wealth of documents. We look at all the biblical manuscripts. We even look at the external evidence that we see, geological findings. And, of course, we can look right into God's word. Jesus, in the New Testament, he would often refer back to the Old Testament scriptures to validate his own ministry. And so the word of God is reliable. We have external evidence, internal evidence that supports the accuracy and the trustworthiness of God's word. In week three, we talked about the clarity of scripture. Remember, we said the Bible can be understood. It just takes some time, effort, a willingness to obey, and a humble reliance on the Holy Spirit. It just takes some work on our part, but the Bible is clear, and it can be understood. And remember, I gave you a tip in week three. I said, whenever you open the Bible in any setting, start with then and there, not here and now. If you want to know what the Bible means, start with it then and there. Understand the proper context 
so that we can rightly apply it to our lives today. In week four, last week, we looked at the necessity of Scripture. You and I, we can travel to the Grand Canyon, and we can marvel at the beauty of God's creation. But did you know that the Grand Canyon is not enough? We can look at a cell, a human cell, and we can marvel at the handiwork of a master creator. But the Grand Canyon, a human cell, we look at those things, they lack something. And we're going to talk about that. You see, only the Bible is enough for us. It is sufficient for us. And that's why today we wrap up our series with a message titled, The Sufficiency of Scripture. The Sufficiency of Scripture. To be sufficient is to be enough. That's the very definition. The very definition of sufficiency. To be sufficient is to be enough. The Bible is enough. Now, does that mean that the Bible contains every little information about every detail in life? No. Does the Bible tell us whether to root for the angels or Dodgers this upcoming season? No. Go angels. <laughs> Does the Bible tell us which teams are going to win later today in the NFL playoffs? No. You know, speaking of the NFL, I want you to see this picture of the old Texas Stadium. This is where the Dallas Cowboys used to play before the current stadium was built. This is Texas Stadium in Dallas, Texas. I want you to notice the big hole on the roof of this building. Did you know that at one point the Cowboys were nicknamed America's team? They were called America's team. And did you also know that at some point, some people nicknamed the Cowboys God's team? They called the Cowboys God's team. That's because, well, Texas is part of the Bible Belt. The Bible Belt is a term used to describe the, the southern region of the United States. So the Cowboys were known as America's team and also God's Team And some people went as far as to claim that the hole in the roof of Texas Stadium was deliberately put there so that God could watch his team play. <laughs> Several years ago, the Cowboys had a playoff game against the Minnesota Vikings. And in the closing seconds, the quarterback for the Cowboys at that time he threw a Hail Mary pass. You know what a Hail Mary pass refers to? It refers to something that happens in the last closing seconds of a game. And the quarterback will throw the ball as far as he can into the end zone, hoping and praying that one of his teammates will catch the ball in the end zone for the victory. So they call it a Hail Mary pass. And sure enough, during that playoff game, the quarterback for the Cowboys threw the ball as far as he could and into the hands of his teammate in the end zone. The Cowboys won the game miraculously. It was one of the greatest victories in Cowboys history and one of the most devastating defeats in Vikings history. 
Well, shortly after the game, a person wrote to a Minneapolis newspaper. And this person wrote the reason why the Vikings lost that game. And this is what the person wrote in this newspaper editorial. The Lord's Day is holy. Sunday is the Lord's Day. And everybody should remember to keep it holy. And the reason why the Vikings lost was because they played football on Sunday. The editors of the newspaper, they couldn't help but respond with their own satirical answer. They wrote this. We would like to inform the reader that the Cowboys, who happened to win the game, played the game on Sunday too. So, all that to say, if you're looking to the Word of God to tell you who's going to win later today, you're not going to find it there. You're not going to find it in there. But here's what you will find in God's Word. This is what we mean when we say Scripture is sufficient. Here's our working definition of the sufficiency of Scripture. The Bible contains everything we need for knowledge of God, salvation, and godly living. That's what we mean by the sufficiency of Scripture. The Bible contains everything, not everything in life, not every bit of information, everything we need for knowledge of God, salvation, and godly living. You can look at the Grand Canyon and see the, the majesty of God's creation, but the Grand Canyon is not going to tell you about salvation and godly living. Only Scripture can do that. If we had nothing else in this life to point us to God, to point us to salvation, to point us to godly living, nothing else aside from the Bible, the Bible is more than enough. It is our compass for life. Here's an image of a compass. You know what a compass does? A compass, what it does is it gives us a standard. It's a, it's a reference point. North is always north. Did you know that? Not everybody knows that. North is always north. Some people who aren't as good with directions, they think north is whichever direction they're driving. And then east is to the left of that. North is always north. And likewise, God's standard is always God's standard. It is not relative. God's standard, it doesn't change with the direction in which we are walking or in the manner in which we're living. It is our absolute standard. And that standard points us in the right direction. That's why the Bible is our compass. And I don't want you to confuse what I'm saying with a turn-by-turn -turn GPS system. Okay, the Bible is our compass. It is not necessarily going to be our turn-by-turn -turn GPS system. You get into your car, the voice tells you, drive one mile, and then from the second to the left-hand lane, turn left in 400 feet, and then turn right. Sure, it would be nice, or at least we think it would be nice, if the Bible were to tell us exactly 
what's around every bend. But you see, that's not how God intends us to live our lives. Sometimes it's actually better not to know what's around every bend. I want to take you to a passage that talks about this concept. Psalm 119. Go to Psalm 119, and I'll read to you verses 103 to 105. Psalm 119, verses 103 to 105. The psalmist writes this. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. The psalmist likened God's word to a lamp. And to be more specific, to a, an olive oil lamp which was very common in ancient Israel. Here's a picture of what an olive oil lamp might have looked like. You see a small flame from this clay pot. This olive oil lamp wasn't going to light up an entire stadium, but it was absolutely essential for a traveler walking in the darkness of the night. And here's the idea. This lamp, it would, pry, it would provide sufficient light for this step, and then the next step, and the step after that. Again, it wasn't going to light up the entire stadium, but it was sufficient for every step along the way. There's a reason why all of life isn't revealed to us all at once. And here's the reason. It helps us to develop trust and reliance on God. His word provides sufficient light for us for this step and the next step and the step after. Again, if all of life was revealed to us all at once, quite frankly, it'd just be way too much for us. So God provides through his word sufficient light for us along the journey. It helps us to develop trust and reliance on God as we learn to follow his will. And as we Talk about the sufficiency of Scripture. It goes hand in hand with God's will for our lives. And so I want to talk briefly about three levels of God's will as we talk about the sufficiency of Scripture. Three levels of God's will. And knowing the distinction between these three levels, it's important in helping us determine God's will. We begin with the first level, and that is God's sovereign will. And here's how we define God's sovereign will. This is God's purpose from eternity past to eternity future, whereby he determines all that will take place. Again, God's purpose from eternity past to eternity future, whereby he determines all 
that will take place. When we talk about God's sovereign will, it's not always easy for us with our limited finite minds to grasp his sovereign will. But that's why he's God and we're not. Now I want to take you to a passage in Ephesians that talks about this sovereignty of God. Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verses 11 and 12. Ephesians 1, 11 and 12. The Apostle Paul writes this to the church at Ephesus. And he says this, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. Now, here's the thing about God's sovereign will. He doesn't necessarily reveal it to us all at once and at all times. From time to time, we'll catch a glimpse of his sovereign will. And oftentimes, here's what happens. We look back in retrospect to then understand God's will. Right? Have we ever been in a place in our life where we go, wow, I now understand how I got here. I now see how God was in, what? Control throughout this journey. I didn't know it at that time while I was going through it, but I look back now and I see, in hindsight, his sovereign will. That brings us to the second level of God's will, and that is God's moral will. This is what God wants us to believe and how he wants us to behave. God's moral will. What he wants us to believe and how he wants us to behave. And this will of God is clearly laid out for us in Scripture. Throughout the Bible, we're given specific instructions or general principles to, prov- to apply to our lives. Now, I'll give you just one of many, many examples of God's moral will. In 1 Peter chapter 4, In verses 8 through 10, it says this. Above all, love each other deeply. That's a command. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality, another command, to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift, another command, that you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So here's the context. The Apostle Peter is writing to the followers of Christ who were dispersed throughout the ancient world. They came to faith in Christ, and then they were dispersed all throughout the world. And Peter wrote to encourage them to remain steadfast in their faith, especially in the midst of hardship. These letters in the New Testament, they were called uh, circular letters. They were meant to be read by one congregation, passed on to another, passed on to another, and eventually make its way to Diamond Bar. And so we have these letters now. And that's why these commands, they apply to us just as much as they applied to those in the first century who received this letter from Peter. Now, it's important to know that not every command in the Bible applies directly to us. When we talk about the New Testament, these are circular letters. When we go to the Old Testament, there are 600 and some commandments. 
That's a lot of commandments. They call them laws. And God gave those specifically to the nation of Israel for a time. So those laws, they may not necessarily apply to you and to me directly today in 2023. But here's the general lesson. Those commandments in the Old Testament, the commandments in the New Testament, they were there so that we could bring honor to God through our obedience. That's the universal principle that we can apply. So God's moral will is found in God's word, his scripture. So that brings us now to the third level of God's will, and that is God's individual will. This is God's specific will for my life. And let's face it, when we talk about God's will, we're usually thinking on this level because, quite frankly, we think about ourselves a lot. It's natural for us to think about ourselves and to view life from our perspective. From the moment we wake up, the first question we ask ourselves is this, how do I feel? Now, we might, ask, we might not say that verbally to ourselves, right? You don't wake up and go, hmm, self, how do I feel? But we're thinking that. We're thinking that. You know why? Because the, uh, the answer often comes in the form of a snooze button. Hmm, how do I feel? The snooze button gives the answer. I need more sleep. I'm tired. And throughout the day, we carry that same mentality. When we get home... We often ask ourselves, how did my coworkers treat me today? Did I enjoy my professor's lecture today? Did my loved ones try my patience today? And so naturally, we focus on ourselves a lot, and we take that mentality into God's word. And that's why we often hear phrases like, what does God's word have to say to me today? How will God's word meet my needs today? What blessing awaits me? And while daily devotional books and apps can be helpful, and many of them are, if daily devotional books and apps are me-centered and not Christ-centered, they will only perpetuate the preoccupation with self. So I encourage you to find a Christ-centered daily devotional. So as we look at the three levels of God's will, it's important to understand that God, he works out his sovereign will in all humanity and through all humanity. He has revealed his moral will in Scripture. And did you know that he doesn't always reveal his individual will to us in ways that we would like him to? That's important, so I'll say it again. God works. He works out his sovereign will through all of humanity. He has revealed his moral will in Scripture. And he doesn't always reveal his individual will to us in ways that we would like him to. And if we don't get this understanding right, then we can easily misuse and misapply Scripture. 
Sometimes we'll go into scripture trying to find God's will for my life. And sometimes the tendency is we might twist scripture to make it apply to me. And we might not do it intentionally, but nevertheless, sometimes we twist scripture to try to make it apply to our lives. Or if we don't find the answer we hope to find in the Bible, then we might look for that answer elsewhere. There's, there's an account in the book of Judges in the Old Testament that, that talks about this idea of misusing and misapplying uh, this particular concept. I'm going to read to you a passage from the book of Judges, Judges chapter 6. And I'm going to start in verses 36 and 37. Some of you might be familiar with this account of Gideon. Gideon and the fleece. So Judges chapter 6, I'll read verses 36 and 37. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. So let's pause there. So the account begins with the Lord's appearance to Gideon. And God commissions Gideon to lead Israel against the conquering Midianites. Gideon is overwhelmed. So he puts God to the test. God, if this is really what you're going to do, I want you to answer this prayer, this test. And sure enough, Gideon wakes up in the morning and he finds the wool fleece completely soaked with dew. But there's not a drop of water on the surrounding ground. He takes the fleece, he wrings it out, fills an entire bowl. Miracle. God, you, you, you showed me a sign. But, but Gideon wanted to uh, be sure. So he thought a second test was in order. Look at verse 39. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. This is incredible. Test number one, the fleece is soaked. The ground is completely dry. Test number two, the fleece, not a drop of dew, but the surrounding ground completely covered with dew. So, based on Gideon's test in the Old Testament, the temptation for many in trying to determine God's will has been to put out the fleece, to test God. Please, God, give me a sign. Give me any sign. I need a sign. Show me, just like you showed Gideon. Show me a sign. And if we're not careful, in other words, if we're not thinking biblically, we can easily elevate signs to the level of importance of Scripture. Now, does that mean that we should never consider signs? No. 
Signs can play a role in our lives. God may open some doors. He might close other doors. But did you know that sometimes a closed door does not always mean stop? Maybe a closed door means just keep knocking harder and harder until the door door comes falling down. You see, signs, circumstances, counsel from friends or experts, they can all be subjective to a certain degree. Only the Word of God is absolute. A sign is not sufficient. Counsel is not sufficient. An inkling is certainly not sufficient. A gut feeling is not sufficient. Only Scripture is sufficient. Everything else is subjective. Now, when we go back and look and consider Gideon's account, there is a lesson to be learned. And it's an important lesson. But again, too often we miss this lesson. Here's the universal lesson from Gideon's fleece. It's this. It's a reminder of just how gracious and patient God is with us. Especially when our faith is weak. That's the lesson. It's a reminder of just how gracious and patient God is with us, especially when our faith is so weak. For the follower of Jesus Christ, yes, circumstances will play a role. Signs, yes. Counsel, yes. But only the Word of God is sufficient. You know, the Word of God, it might not tell us what school to go to or what job to accept. But maybe those aren't the most important questions. What job should I accept? For high school students, where should I go to school? Those are big questions. But maybe those aren't the most important questions in life. What city should I move to? You see, questions like those, where should I go to school? What job should I accept? What city should I move to? Questions like those have an overarching objective in mind. And that objective is usually happiness. What's going to make me happiest? Whom should I date? Whom should I marry? When should I retire? Did you know that happiness is never a marker for determining whether we're in God's will or not? I'm going to say that again. Happiness is never a marker for determining whether we're in God's will or not. The goal for husbands and wives in marriage 
is not to live happily ever after. It's not the goal. Now, don't go and try to make your marriage miserable, okay? <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. Don't do that, okay? Be nice to your spouse. But I want you to consider that statement. The goal for husbands and wives is not to live happily ever after. God calls us to holiness, not happiness. Yes, it's good to be happy. I like happy people. <laughs> but nowhere in Scripture are we commanded to be happy. But time and time again, we're called to be holy. Husbands and wives, that's our calling to be holy. Our goal is not to save as much money as we can to ensure that we will have a happy retirement. That is not our goal. God calls us to a faithful stewardship in order to further his kingdom. That's why we need to be careful not to put our faith and trust into financial advisors who do not have a kingdom perspective. They might advise you, invest in this and you'll be set for life. But what about God's kingdom? What about the furtherance of his kingdom? As followers of Jesus Christ, maybe sometimes we're not asking the right questions. Maybe we're asking some good questions. That's good, yeah, where should I go to school? But what if, what if we were to ask a different question? God, regardless of where I go to school, how can I be the best testimony of Jesus Christ? No matter where I live, no matter what city I live in, how can I honor you by being the best neighbor possible? As followers of Jesus Christ, if we embrace God's sovereign will, and if we're committed to obeying his moral will, then guess what? We have so much freedom on the individual level. So much freedom. And we won't be all consumed with trying to figure out God's individual will for my life. You know, as I get older and hopefully more mature, here's what's happening in my life. I'm not as weighed down as I used to be about everyday decisions because in the grand scheme of things, if I just embrace God's sovereign will and I focus on obeying his moral will, which is clear, clearly laid out in Scripture, then all these day-to-day -day decisions, there's so much freedom that God gives us. Now, I know, I know that many of you are facing big decisions in your lives. Career decisions. Some, you might be thinking about a career change education, finances, retirement. God cares about those decisions. 
And if we make our decisions based upon the boundaries of God's moral will, and we embrace his sovereign will, there is so much freedom here that we don't have to have the weight of the world on our shoulders. I want to leave you with a quote from the late author and professor Haddon Robinson. This is what he said about the sufficiency of Scripture. This God-breathed book is not only inspired, but when we understand and apply it correctly, it is all-sufficient, giving us all we need for all life's decisions that we might be all that God wants us to be. For us to live according to the Scriptures is to live in the will of God. And with that, we bring our series to a close. Would you bow with me? Father, your word is so clear to us. You call us to holiness. Help us not to settle for anything less. And help us not to be so weighed down as, as important God, as day-to-day -day decisions are. And there are some big decisions in our lives. And yes, it's good for us to, to seek godly counsel, to consider our circumstances, even uh, at times know that you provide signs for us. But Lord, your word is absolute. Your word is sufficient. If we did none of those things, but focused on your word, and if we are committed to obeying your moral will, if we embrace your sovereign will, then uh, God, I know that you're going to, you're going to give us discernment and wisdom in our everyday decisions. So help us, Lord, as we go to your word each and every day, with that mindset, help us, Lord, to go to your word and be transformed. And again, to leave every time looking and behaving more like Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.